NFL Draft Week has arrived, and on today's Sports Beat KC, Kansas City Star sports columnist Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian tell you why the Chiefs are well positioned in this year's draft. Not because they're selecting number 32, but because of all the moves made prior to the draft, which begins on Thursday. It's Monday, April 20th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. After a break, we remember Pella McDaniels, who passed away this weekend. McDaniels played six of his seven NFL seasons with the Chiefs and was mostly a reserve defensive end and linebacker. His 14 career NFL starts all came with the Chiefs. But McDaniels lived quite a life as an academic and civic leader after football. He served as a professor at two universities, including UMKC, and has written several books. So here we are with Sam and Vahe talking Chiefs. Vahe's here, sitting across from me, at least six feet, a good six feet. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I'd call it six feet, a good six feet. Yes. <laughs> and Sam is about uh, 10 miles away. Sam, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good, good. good. Just where we yeah. want you, Sam, 10 miles from us. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> um, let's just get right into it. Let's, it's uh, we're, we're approaching, not approaching, we're here, the week of the NFL draft, the one major uh, a sporting event that has not been canceled, su- suspended, postponed, pushed back. It is. It is going to happen. I'm just reading now that the in the in the mock the mock to the mock draft the, the dry run that there was a technical glitch with the Cincinnati Bengals first pick. So they've got to work out a couple of bugs. But come Thursday, I think we're going to have you know going to have a, the, the strangest of NFL drafts based on location. It was supposed to be in Las Vegas, and that was going to be a strange draft anyway. But, um, but now we're, we're doing it indoors, and uh, I want to I get uh, some thoughts from you guys on, uh, maybe drill down a little bit on who the Chiefs, what position group they might be thinking about. But before we do, uh, Sam, I wanted to refer to your Sunday column that, um, that I thought was really interesting because – you you express that you think the Chiefs are in as good a position as any team in the NFL to handle uh, this phase of NFL player acquisition, the draft, uh, just because of the way they are constructed, the way they've been built. And, um, and I think it would have been true either way, whether there was COVID-19 or not, but the fact that there is COVID-19 – and it's a you know, and it's it has an impact on on all the NFL teams. The Chiefs do seem to be in something of an enviable position. For sure, yeah, um, I believe that. I mean, like, there's a lot of you know, sort of on background griping that you read about from uh, from a lot of teams about the setup and you know, teams that wanted this whole thing delayed. And um, I don't get the sense that any of that stuff is, is coming from the Chiefs. I think that they are uh, pretty adaptable. Um, we've talked about this before. I think that's one of Andy Reid's great strengths um, is, is his adaptability. I think that Brett Veach and, and look, it's the whole front office. It often reaches shorthanded to just Brett, but there's a lot of guys that, that work with and for him. And, and I think they're that way too. And, you know, so that's just like sort of the mechanical parts of it was just this strange deal and it is good that the NFL got all the way to the number one pick overall before they had any technical glitches but then like just uh, if this was normal times and 
you know, the draft was in Vegas and everybody was going to be there and all that stuff. I still think this draft would be laid out in, in a way that's advantageous for the Chiefs just because, you know, first of all, like, one, one thing, I'm actually writing a little bit about this right now, but, like, I think one of the best things that, that Veach and that front office have done is they've, they've kept themselves from being in a position to be desperate. You know, like, if you're desperate for a certain position, all of a sudden, you're taking a guy in the first round that probably should be in the second or third round. And it's just, you know, bad decisions can, can multiply. And the Chiefs just don't have a lot of glaring needs. And, and the needs they have are at positions, uh, and I'm thinking mostly of, of corner, linebacker, and interior offensive line. Those are all positions that people who make their living studying this say are pretty deep in this draft. So it's just, it, it, it's just crazy to me, like, how much it seemed like the Chiefs just had chronic bad luck. And then two years ago, this unicorn quarterback starts playing, and they just had good luck ever since then. You know, it's, it's, it's really other than, you know, one notable offside exception, right? But uh, it just seems like everything's coming up Chiefs. Uh, and I, I feel like this draft is another example. Well, you're right. I mean, look at just what happened in free agency. The um, I think the Chiefs... The Chiefs signed everybody they wanted to sign. Um, they, yeah. they they got they they got the folks that they wanted. Most recently, uh, Richard Breland. And um, yeah, we'll again we'll, we'll we'll get into some positions here in a minute. But when when you when you're returning twenty two, I think the numbers are twenty of twenty two starters from the Super Bowl. And I want to say thirty five or thirty six of the players who suited up of of the forty six who suited up on Super Bowl night. Um, that's you know, that, that's a I, I don't know what the recent numbers are for Super Bowl champions, but that's a heck of a number. And it's not like they're bringing back I, Vahe, You and I've talked about this. It's not like they're bringing back aged veterans, right? You know, right. Guys that are you know past their on the downside of their careers. Yeah, we got talking about this a little bit. I can't remember now if it was a podcast or just uh, one of our six feet away conversations in here recently. But um, you know the way. For instance, the most recent dynasty that comes to mind, the Patriots have been pretty shrewd about their discards, right? Uh, uh, and maybe even I'd have to think harder about this, but maybe even at times, um, guys that that certainly had some NFL shelf life in front of them. But it's a different kind of uh, situation landscape facing the Chiefs because this nucleus really is, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, I bet you ninety percent of this roster is between twenty four and twenty nine. Something like that, yeah. right? Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. And and you know, who's really about to be tapped out? Not not really any of these guys. So between that, between the points Sam makes, um, Andy's adaptability, continuity in the coaching staff, um, I I think that uh, it all sure bodes well, stacks up well for the Chiefs. If the Chiefs didn't have, if the Chiefs didn't participate in this draft, they would still be. I think the team to reckon with next year. So that's just a way I look at it. Um, so you know, we'll we'll see what what comes to pass. But they're they're pretty they're pretty uh, contoured to uh, the situation. So don't don't you think they can they can approach this draft if they choose to if they can approach this draft for um, you know thinking about twenty twenty two you know twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three. Okay. And, um, and and maybe when they have to come to some decision to, you know, to re-sign somebody for, you know, a veteran for, for a big contract or you've got, you know, a guy at the same position on a rookie contract and they seem, you know, you can get by with a rookie, 
Well, you've made, you know, you can make a financial decision, you know, based on guys that you take in this draft. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, given like a red shirt, you know, I think that's another way that you can sort of operate from a position of strength, if you will. You know, like, um, now we're talking about not just, you know what, I need to move a mountain to, could we, we just need a corner with this pick. So when, like, whatever the best corner is, that's who we're going to take. So now that you've, you've eliminated that position, the positional need, but now you've also eliminated, um, we need somebody that can come in and, and start on day one. And, and there's going to be starters available with that 30-second pick. But, you know, um, maybe you're going to ask about this, but, uh, you know, the, there's a big, you know, Peter King uh, mentioned that he's hearing a lot of stuff about the, the Chiefs wanting to trade up to take uh, uh, Henry Ruggs, the, the 427 speed wide receiver from, from Alabama. And he's a guy that they probably wouldn't need to contribute much at all the first year. But if next year Sammy Watkins is gone, um, you know, now all of a sudden you've gotten cheaper and you've gotten faster. And, you know, I mean, uh, th- those are the things. It's just, you know, seeing both sides of it from covering the Chiefs, you know, just you, you see it. This happens all over the league, but it's a different experience when you see it, you know, sort of up close and personal. You know, the, the years where it seemed like a bad decision began a, a, a worse decision, you know, and, and it was pushing them. I, I think of John Dorsey giving the contract to Dwayne Ball. And, and Dorsey gets a lot of criticism for his cap management. In some ways, it's fair. But in that situation, the hell is he supposed to do? Like, he's got a, a new coach that wants to, uh, you know, build around being able to pass the ball. And the 2012 Chiefs, their number two receiver, I just looked it up this morning. It's just, <laughs> I lived through it, but it's just weird to look back on it. Their number two receiver that year was Dexter McCluster. Dexter McCluster was their number two receiver. So, like, what, what's he supposed to do? You know, you got to give Dwayne Bow the money, even if you're pretty sure it's not going to work out long term. So, you know, they've avoided that now. Um, you know, like the Sammy Watkins contract, they're going to have, you know, like, I guess that's the exception. But, you know, they, they just, they're in a position where um, they're just able to make sound, clear-minded decisions because they're not distracted by desperation. Sam, you made you kind of gave me a visual on this that that you opened up my mind on this a little bit more. You know, the position they're in is almost like being able to have like a either a twelfth guy on the field or or a free safety sort of situation. They, they can they can they could gamble. They could they could or they could play a conservative and and you know stockpile for next year. They they they're kind of free to do anything. I think is is how I'm I'm coming to look at this and. Everybody's free to do anything, right? But 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 they have the leverage and the uh, I think the um, sort of state of mind uh, with with the way Brett has operated that um, they are really a wild card in this thing. Yeah. Well, they put themselves in a position where even at thirty two, um, they can take the best player available, right? And, right. And, and maybe a we'll rugs, just do that, right? Maybe a rugs or a T Higgins from Clemson or. You know, Trevon Diggs from Alabama, the corner. Of course, that would fill that could possibly fill a need, but maybe the best available player at 32 isn't a, a position that we think that they don't need to worry about right now. But they're in, they're kind of the luxury of taking that player and stashing them, um, you know, redshirting them as, as we've seen them do, and um, it's just a you know, listen, there's. There's a reason. There's a reason they're picking number thirty-two, right? They won the Super Bowl. Right. 
They won the Super Bowl. They made a lot of great moves to get to the Super Bowl and, and to win it. And and it looks like they're you know they're not having like the Rams when they got to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They're not having to rebuild, dismantle, you know, retool. Yeah. It's just not the case. So having said all that, um, is there a position group if if we see um, you know, the Chiefs getting to thirty two and um, and, and and you know. Who knows who's left at that point? But what, what kind of what are we looking at position group wise? Is there a need? Is there some place they need to to bolster depth? Um, yeah, I mean, I still think yeah, like no roster's perfect. Um, you know, um, I still think they could use a corner. Um, I think they could use a safety. Um, I know they could use a linebacker. Um, somebody they can cover. Uh, they, they could use some depth on the interior of the offensive line. Um, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have, um, you know, one more running back, particularly one that in some ways is, is like Damian Williams, you know, just, just another body, like somebody that's, you know, got some, got some wiggle, as they say, or at least used to say, um, can, can catch passes out of the backfield, something like that. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, they, they, they can, they can, they can put, you know, um, some positions like that. They could use some, um, you know, an edge rusher would be great if we're just like making up lists, but, um, you know, they're just, they're not desperate for any one thing. I just think that's such an advantage. Yeah. And, and they don't, you know, just in the last few years, but with a couple of exceptions, they don't go out and draft running backs. Um, they, they go out and sign them. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. offensive linemen are, you know, they, they don't, you know, and, and since Eric Fisher, um, you know, they, they did draft Mitch Morse high, and yeah. Allegretti, of course, was in last year's draft. But they've tended to find offensive linemen on, you know, in, in the market and not not on draft night as well. So um, it's just – I think it's an organizational philosophy. They think they can find yeah. good players on, you know, w- w- without drafting them. Yeah, especially, as you said, the offensive linemen. And I, I really – it's really pretty true with the backs, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they signed Sp- you know, Spencer Ware and um, – just you know, guys. Charkandrick West was somebody they signed as yeah. a you know undrafted free agent, and yeah. um, Kareem Hunt's the only one I can remember them drafting in, yeah. in the last few, in the Andy Reid era. That's the only one I remember. There might have been another. Who could it be though? Sam, do you remember another running back drafted? Was Nile uh, Davis before? Uh, did Nile Davis come before Andy Reid? Actually, he might have been that that 2013 draft. Like okay. fifth was he? Nile Davis was a John Dorsey pick. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Probably, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good. Let's um, uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, there's a couple other Chiefs issues we should talk about. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. Back with Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian. We're talking Chiefs, NFL Draft. Um, I, I was on a Facebook Live this morning with, um, with uh, 
Quentin Lucas, the Kansas City mayor who uh, had about a five-minute press conference in town trying to tout the, the idea of Kansas Cityans and those in the metro tailgating on draft night, you know, going supporting your local restaurants and, and grocery stores, and then uh, on draft night, sitting in your driveway with family and, and tailgating. I thought that was, you know, there's not much you can do, right? On, but I thought it was a nice idea. Seems creative enough to me. I, I, I really wonder um, to what degree it will take. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't, I just know. don't know. I mean, you know, it, it depends on maybe the where the influencers are on social media, Blair. <laughs> get yourself an Instagram account and get it going. Might be what the weather, uh, <laughs> what, what, where the weather is yeah. that night. But uh, anyway. Hey, so we learned uh, this morning officially, I think it occurred over the weekend, that uh, Pelham McDaniel passed away. Young. I had to, I, I was reminded how young he was. 52. 52. When he died. Yeah. And Vi, I know you've been working on this story today. Yeah. And, and I never knew Pelham. Um, Blair, maybe you did. Maybe you did a little bit, Sam. But, it, you know, he was done here in 98 with the Chiefs. But he was here at UMKC for a long time. And really kind of a Kansas City institution. I mean, uh, chairman of the board of the Negro Leagues Museum and on the board of the World War One Museum. Um I ended up hearing about him through a friend of mine who was a friend of his. And I bring this up because um, this was not through a football circle. This was through a professor's professor to community engagement circle. And as I've been trying to set up writing about it, that, that's the thing I've been most struck by. This guy is uh, a true Renaissance man um, and just very giving, very engaged. Um, and I... I uh, came across the fact that he has a patent for uh, some kind of lubricant for dentistry, which has nothing to do with any of the other stuff he was involved in. And I just think that stands out to me as the kind of guy he was and just sounds like a treasure. And uh, people are obviously mourning him. And uh, what we've been told through people that have been in touch with the family is that the death was sudden. Um, I know they're probably when, when something happens now, people probably immediately are wondering you always wonder how somebody dies, but um, whether it's coronavirus related, at least at the point of us recording this, there's there's nothing that tells us that. One uh, one thing about Pelham, he, he was he was done playing before I started at the Star. I mean, I, you know, remember him a little bit as a player, but um, the first time I met him was at the museum, at the New Museum, and um, somebody was like, "Have you met Pelham and Daniel?" And I was like. That's the same name as that guy that used to play for the Chiefs, but why would he be doing this baseball thing, you know? And, um, I mean, he is just a fascinating guy. Um, I mean, you could tell from the first two minutes of talking to him that his brain was, at least for me, operating at a different level um, than than mine. And one thing, and uh, I'm going to kick myself if I get this wrong, but I am 99% sure I'm right on this. Uh, He was... You, you mentioned Vi that he was on the board of the museum, and during that transition period um, after uh, Buck O'Neill passed away, Pelham was one of, if not the most outspoken proponent of Bob Kendrick getting that job over over Greg Baker, and uh, the board uh, as a whole voted for Baker, and and I think that was kind of the end of you know not just Pelham, there are a couple others, but uh, I think Pelham was was really disappointed in that decision and obviously turned out to be dead right. I mean, Greg Baker almost literally could not have been worse for the museum. And Bob Kendrick has been that, that place of spirit along with Bach uh, 
since the inception. So, um, I mean, just to, I guess I'm just underlining a little bit about what Brian said. Just a, a really brilliant guy, and would be somebody that we'd probably be talking about right now, even if he never played for the Chiefs. And Sam, I do think your timing stacks up right on that. I, I don't have it in front of me, but um, I think his chairmanship ended in 2011. Um, is that yeah? That sound about right? I, I so yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, that, that, that that was that timing. I just I remember talking to Pelham a little bit, and um, I, I you know like when you can just hear frustration in somebody's voice, um, and it was I mean I remember exactly where I was in my you know I just lost downtown. I just remember exactly where I was in that place at the time when when I was talking to him. It was just one of those conversations that felt really important, and I could just I, I remember hearing his frustration. Um, in that of just like not understanding what everybody else was missing. And again, I just could not have been more right about yeah. that. Yeah. He spent most of his career with the Chiefs and played on some good Chiefs teams in the 90s. Schottenheimer yeah. teams um, that, that uh, won divisions and went to the playoffs. And he finished his career with the Falcons. So you, so, so I was checking up on, on him this morning and He's, you know, he was a professor at UMKC. He also was a professor at Emory University, Atlanta. So the two places where he, you know, lived last as, a, as an NFL yeah. player left a, you know, an incredible, you know, mark on on those communities. Yeah, you know, at, at Emory, at UMKC, and Emory, and was was civically involved in, in both communities. What a what an outstanding human being! Yeah, and it's interesting you note that point, Blair, because he I I believe he he grew up on the West Coast, but so he was sort of testimony, I guess, to that adage about wherever you go, there you are, and really planting himself there. And you know, obviously, Kansas City's richer for it, and I'm sure Atlanta and Emory were too. And um, I'm going to try to read his one of it. He did several books, including one. Uh, Gosh, his last name escapes me. I'm, I'm embarrassed. His first name's Isaac, but he wrote about uh, a very prominent African-American jockey who was the first man to win three Kentucky Derbies and also was born into slavery. And we don't know this story um, very well. And, and uh, it's so, so much so that even as I was typing this uh, 45 minutes ago, I'm, I'm, some of it's eluding me. But... Um, I'm going to learn more about it. And um, he spent seven years researching that book. I think that's telling about who he was. I know he won a, um, uh, back about five or six years ago, he, he won a major award from the NCAA. Silver Anniversary Silver award. Anniversary Award, one of a handful of recipients. He played, I want to say, at Oregon State. He did. He grew up in California, but played at Oregon State. And um, started his career with the Eagles, played in the USFL, actually. Um, for a couple of years in Birmingham before before he was discovered by the Chiefs. So- quick, quick footnote on this also. I came across this. I was listening back to a video he did uh, on the occasion of the NFL Silver Anniversary Award he got. So he doesn't get into pro football right out of college. Uh, just goes ahead and takes a job at Procter & Gamble, like on some right. you know corporate thing. Goes back to play in whatever it was, the World League or USFL, um, from Procter & Gamble. I mean, just just from from the get go, the the whole path has been pretty different. I'm glad you. You always hear about teams signing guys from the street. You know, like I, I signed this guy off the street, or you know, he was selling insurance. You, you ever hear this guy was working at Procter and Gamble? <laughs> I'm glad you politely corrected me. It was the World League of Professional Oh, it was okay. Football, okay, not, I wasn't not, sure. Not the USFL. USFL was earlier than than when Pelham played, but. Uh, a, um, a a life well lived. 
Yeah. And, and certainly uh, Absolutely. cut short at age 52. So, hey, guys, thanks for sharing today, and uh, we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, Blair. Yeah, man. See you guys. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Savannah Smith, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. Cap tip to Sam Mellinger and Vahe Gregorian for appearing on today's show. Hey, a programming note, on Thursday, the first night of the draft, we're planning our own NFL Draft show to be broadcast on the Stars Facebook Live channel. You'll hear from some of your podcast favorites like Vahe and Chiefs beat writer Herbie Teope, plus some football reporters from throughout the nation. I'll provide more details over the next couple days. So we'll be back on Tuesday with another Sports BKC where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. Yeah.